Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hey guys, it's uh, Chris, and I have Ross here with me again. And, uh, Hi everybody. This will be the, will be the uh, eighth episode of Super Theism. And uh, I kind of wanted to start, I've been reading Isaiah lately. I just actually just started it again yesterday. I kind of just want to read a little excerpt out of it, if you don't mind, Ross. Go for it. Just And then we can comment or discuss on it uh, after. So I'll just start Isaiah 1, or uh, Yesha Yahoo, is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay, Yesha Yahoo, okay. The vision of Yesha Yahoo, or Isaiah, son of Amatz, which he saw concerning Yehuda and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziahu, Yatham, Ahaz, his Ki-Yahu, or Hezekiah, sovereigns of Yehuda, or Judah. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth. Now, uh, I actually made a note on that. There's a lot of passages that you'll find in the Bible where, I mean, people will say it's using, like, figurative language, but it talks about, like, the heavens being a witness and, like, the earth being a witness, or, like, you know, them actually, like, addressing the heavens and the earth, like, as if they're, uh, like, sentient. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about, Ross? Yeah, or at the least, it seems like what they call anthropomorphizing it. But Yeah, exactly. And, like, there's other verses where, you know, it talks about, like, how the heavens and the earth, uh, you know, give glory or worship, you know, the, the creator. Mm-hmm. You know, like they sing joys to him, or they sing, you know, uh, and worship. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies yeah. proclaim the work of His hands. See, I would actually, I, I actually interpret this as like evidence for animism, because this was a universal belief in the ancient world, and, um, I mean, obviously that would follow if if you're an emanationist, that would necessarily follow. There, some form of an, animism would have to be true, right? Because, I mean, you know, everything emerged out of God. You, you can't have something inanimate or non-living emerge out of, you know, something living and animate. You see what I mean? <laughs> so, I do think that they're basically our spirits that animate everything, uh, including, you know, everything that's in nature. Those would be classically what we would call, you know, nature spirits, uh, which were also basically a universal belief in the ancient world. You know, like uh, you had earth spirits, which were gnomes, uh, which animate, you know, like the rocks and the earth. And uh, you had the water spirits, which were called undines. And then the air spirits, or the spirits of the air, which were sylphs. And then 
fire spirits, which were salamanders. So I believe in all that. Um, I just wanted to make that little comment on that. It goes on, it says, For Yahuwah has spoken, I have reared and brought up children, but they have transgressed against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's crib. Israel does not know, my people have not understood. Alas, a sinning sinning nation, a people loaded with crookedness, a seed of evildoers, sons acting corruptly. They have forsaken Yahuwah, they have provoked the set-apart one of Israel, they went backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You continue in apostasy. All the head is sick, and all the heart faints. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it. Wounds and bruises and open sores, they have not been closed or bound up, or soothed with ointment. Your land is laid waste, your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is laid waste, as overthrown by strangers." And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. So there you see the remnant principle. Uh, Yahuwah always preserves a remnant to himself, and it's always a minority uh, you get that in the Bible as well. That's kind of the concept that well, it gets carried over into the New Testament as well. There's like an outer Israel and there's an inner Israel. That's why it says in the New Testament, you know, not all, um, you know, that are uh, that are what does it say? Not all that are descended from Abraham or of Israel or something like that. Um, you know, the verse I'm talking about. Yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, hold on. I'm going to look that up just so I get it right. Pretty sure it's something like that. Uh, Not all of You're not doing that just on a physical Bible, are you? You have a computer in front of you? Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm Googling it right now. Okay, I was going to say, it's going to take a long time with you. (laughs) (laughs) No, okay, so actually it's, for not all who are descended from Israel are of Israel. Okay. That's actually what it says. That's Romans 9, or hold on. Uh, Yeah, Romans 9, 6. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, or are of Israel. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, there's an outer Israel, and there's an inner Israel, which is the remnant, you know, which which are the elect, basically, and they're the ones that get saved. They're the ones that persevere to the end. It's always a minority, even within Israel. Do you see that? Uh, you know, in the with the. Uh, Elijah and the, the when he was against the prophets of Baal, and Yahuwah said, you know, if I I have uh, preserved a remnant, you know, seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to Baal, um, see that as well there. Uh, so continuing on, 
says, uh, Hear the word of Yahuwah, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the Torah of our Elohim, you people of Amorah. Of what use to me are your many slaughterings, declares Yahuwah. I have had enough of ascending offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courtyards? So, I want to kind of clarify that these passages as well. Because this got me really confused when I was a Valentinian. Like, this was actually one of the verses that I would use to defend my Valentinianism. I actually believe that Basically, uh, well, I used to believe that Yahweh was like the Demiurge, you know, and Gnosticism, you know. And this is one, This is, these passages are some of the passages that I would use, that I would interpret to support that. Because if you re just read this, you know, and you're like a casual layman, or if you're not really reading carefully, or if you already have like some you know, like Gnostic leanings or something like that, you might interpret this or read this as if it as if it says that Yahweh actually never wanted, you know, Israel to sacrifice to him. You know, it's almost as if uh like there could possibly be two different gods like talking here. Maybe this is a different god from Yahweh cuz you know, like in all the books previous to this you know, Yahweh command, explicitly commanded sacrifice, you know, offerings. But here it's almost as what it's almost as if he's like contradicting himself here. Do you see that? Yeah. But if you read it carefully, he goes on and he says, "Stop bringing futile offerings, incense. It is an abomination to me." So basically, he's not saying, you know, I never commanded these sacrifices, or I never wanted you to sacrifice to me. He's he's rebuking Judah for their hypocrisy. Because they were offering all these, they were basically, you know, they, they were professing Yahweh in an outward sense, you know, by doing all these sacrifices and doing all these feasts and stuff. But in, inwardly, in their heart, they were still sinning, you know, like behind closed doors. They were still offering, making offerings to other gods. They were breaking all his, you know, they weren't keeping the Torah. You see that? Yeah. So they're being hypocrites. That's what he's uh, rebuking them on, is their hypocritical offerings. Uh, so he says, new moon, Sabbath, the calling of gatherings. I am unable to bear righteous, unrighteousness and assembly. So that's what he's saying, the, the mixing of the two. My being hates your new moons and your appointed times. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands, I hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I do not hear. Your hands have become filled with blood. Okay, so this is why. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek right ruling. Reprove their oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says Yahuwah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, because the sacrifices could never take away sin. 
you know. Um, the method of salvation is the same in the Old Testament as it was in the New Testament. It was uh, by by grace, you know, unmerited favor, but you also had to obey, uh, you know. That was the evidence of your faith, was submission and uh, obeying. And Judah obviously was not obeying here, but they were still doing all the sacrifices and stuff, you know, the outward, outward profession. If you submit and obey, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken. How the steadfast city has become a whore. I have filled it with right ruling, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine is mixed with water. Your rulers are stubborn and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and runs after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow reach them. Therefore the master declares, Yahuwah of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I shall be eased of my adversaries, and I shall be avenged of my enemies, and I shall turn my hand against you, and shall refine your dross as with lie, and shall remove all your alloy. Okay? So there we see... Doesn't that uh, kind of sound alchemical there? Yeah, yeah, the metal symbolism? Yeah. The smelting? <laughs> well, you, see, yeah. you see this all throughout the Bible, like when it, des- when it describes punishment, like how Yahuwah punishes. It's very alchemical. Like, he doesn't punish you out of spite or, like, vind- vindictively. He punishes you to cleanse you, you know, to, to purge the impurities out of you, you know? Like, that's what the fire of hell does. The fire is, uh, you know, it, it purges. You know, it's, it refines. That's why, you know, that's another reason why I just, I don't believe that hell is eternal. Because it's like right here. He's saying, you know, I shall refine your dross as a lie and shall remove all your alloy. He's basically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to discipline you, but my discipline is going to be to refine you, you know. It's not like I'm going to eternally punish you, you know, to where, you know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and then he says, And I shall give back your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. After this, you, you shall be called the city of righteousness, a steadfast city. So, we see there, it's obviously talking about a literal restoration of, you know, Israel, their judges will be restored, <clears throat> their counselors, their wise men, their teachers. After this refining process, you see that? <laughs> so dispensationalism and replacement theology is refuted just with that, unless you want to spiritualize all that, which is what you everybody have to, does. If you believe in dispensationalism, because that's what it is. Huh? That's, that's all the dispensationalism is. It's just uh, yeah. it's all it's all a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. It's that picking and choosing again, cherry picking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it says Zion shall be ransomed with right ruling, and her returning ones. Notice that returning ones with righteousness. That's that. Second Exodus or horizontal rapture there. 
And the destruction of transgressors and of sinners is together, and those who forsake Yahuwah shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be for tow, and his work for a spark, and both shall burn together with no one to extinguish. So, <clears throat> I'm just going to read till, probably up till Isaiah 3. <laughs> but, it says, uh, The word that Yeshayahu, the son of Amat, saw concerning Yehuda and Jerusalem, and it shall be in the latter days, the latter days, notice that, that the mountain of the house of Yahuwah is established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. All nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahuwah, to the house of the Elohim of Jacob, and let him teach us his ways, and let us walk in his paths. For out of Zion comes forth the Torah and the word of Yahuwah from Jerusalem. So has this happened yet, Ross? No, that's <laughs> not that I know of. Yeah. Is this is this that Israel over there? Is this is this what happened? You know, when they got <laughs> they got established in 1948 or whenever it was. <laughs> was it God or was it the United Nations? <laughs> and he shall judge between the nations and shall reprove many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither teach battle any more. So, I mean, that refutes the Israel over there, just right there. I mean, it's saying it's going to be a peaceful, you know, the world's going to be at peace when Israel is restored. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Yahuwah. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they have been filled from the east and practiced magic like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. And their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. And their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. And their land is filled with idols. They bow themselves to the work of their own hands, to what their own fingers have made. And the lowly bows down, and the high is humbled. Therefore you do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, and hide in the dust, because of the fear of Yahuwah and the splendor of his excellency. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, the pride of men shall be bowed down, and Yahuwah alone shall be exalted in that day. For Yahuwah of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, so that it is brought low, and against all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, and against all the high mountains, and against all the hills that are lifted up, and against every lofty tower, and against every strong wall, and against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the desirable craft, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the pride of men shall be brought low. And Yahuwah alone shall be exalted in that day, and the idols completely pass away. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks, and into the caves of the earth, from dread of Yahuwah, and the splendor of his excellency, when he arises to shake the earth mightily. 
in that day, man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks, because of the fear of Yahuwah and the splendor of his excellency when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for in, for in what is he to be reckoned upon? Okay, so when it keeps talking about that day, it's talking about the day of, you know, the day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord, which we believe was the day of, you know, Christ's parousia in the New Testament. He's talking about the same day when, you know, Yahuwah or Christ returned to judge the earth and there was this massive catastrophic event which is being described. And basically the only people who survived are, as it says, the ones who went underground or into the, into the caverns because the whole surface was destroyed. For look, the master Yahuwah of hosts is turning aside from Jerusalem and from Yehuda the stock in the store, all the supply of bread and all the supply of water. The mighty man and the man of battle, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder, the commander of fifty and the highly respected man, and the counselor and the skilled craftsman, and the clever enchanter. And I shall make use their heads, and children shall rule over them. And the people shall exert pressure, man on man, man on his neighbor, the young rise up against the older, and the lightly esteemed against the highly esteemed. When a man takes hold of it, of of his brother in the house of his father by the garment, and say, Come, be a chief over us, and let this ruin be under your hand. <laughs> he shall swear in that day, saying, I am not a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor garment. Do not make me a chief of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Yehuda has fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against Yahuwah, to provoke the eyes of his esteem. The look on their faces witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their being, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous, it is well, for they eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wrong, evil, for the reward of his hand is done to him. My people, youths, exert pressure on them, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your leaders lead you astray, and swallow the way of your past. That basically sounds like us right now, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yahuwah shall stand up to plead and is standing to judge the peoples. Yahuwah enters into judgment with the elders of his people and its heads. It is you who have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the master Yahuwah of hosts. And Yahuwah says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk without outstretched necks and seductive eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore Yahuwah shall smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and Yahuwah expose their nakedness. In that day Yahuwah takes away the finery of the anklets and the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the veils, the headdresses and the leg ornaments and the sashes and the perfume bottles and the amulets, the rings and the nose jewels, the costly robes and the cloaks and the shawls and the purses, the mirrors and the fine linen and the turbans and the large veils. And it shall be, instead of a sweet fragrance, fragrance 
a smell of decay, and instead of a belt, a rope, and instead of a well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a festal robe, a, gar- a girding of sackcloth, and branding instead of loveliness. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your strength in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she deserted shall sit on the ground. I think I might, well, I'm going to read four or two, and then I'll stop. So it says, uh, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We shall eat our own food and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So what does that sound like, Ross? That sounds like polygamy. It does. That sounds like polygamy in the future being restored, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. And that's what I believe. And uh, I just want to comment on that, too. I actually believe that there's a, you, and you might believe this too, Ross, but I believe there's a there's a seven-to-one ratio of females to males. Yeah, I have heard something like that, that the uh, world gender, uh, gender, sex uh, ratio between men and women is disproportionate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I believe. Well, I think that's, I think it's, that's the case with the angels as well. I think there's a, well, I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> that makes it confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's seven angels to one male angel. I'm not sure about that, but I know that's definitely how it is uh, uh, when they incarnate. It's seven to one. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, if we uh, if we are secretly the lower counterpoint counterparts of angels, then mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know. Hey, but, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Chris sure. Um, your phone's making a slight, like this tiny little beeping sound when you talk. Is it? Uh, you have it like at a weird angle or uh, distance from your sound, head or sound any better? Uh, it's. It's there occasionally. Uh, I'm not sure. I shouldn't have brought it up now. That's all we're going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it really bad? Or? Uh, it's kind of like a little mosquito. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it... hear it? No, I can't hear it. Uh Maybe it's the interface between uh, your phone and TalkShoot. Possibly. Yeah, because I can't. I mean, you sound good on my end. So it's, I mean, I can't sorry. hear it through my sorry phone. Sorry to bring it up. That's all right. Uh, uh, look at me. So, yeah, well, I'm not sure if uh, there's seven uh, angels to one male angel because... I don't know how that would work with the emanations because I think, I believe that, you know, I believe like the Valentinian system where everything emanated a male and female, you know, male and female pairs, like in twins. They call them, uh, in the Valentinian system, they were called uh, syzygies. Really weird word. Like a S Y Z. S Y Z Y Z. Huh? Yeah. I've seen that word before. Yeah, yeah. 
but that's why. I mean, and there is a there's a verse also that supports that. And I guess you could say an extra canonical book, but it's actually in some canons. It's uh, I think it's the Wisdom of Sirach. Um, and it says that God created everything in pairs or in opposites. Uh, so, no, that would support that. Um, well, that that could just be a principle, not a not a numerical proportion, but just a binary principle in nature. Oh, true. That's true. Yeah, it could be. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, going on, it says, uh, "In that day, the branch of Yahuwah." shall be splendid and esteemed, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for the escaped ones of Israel. So that's pretty interesting there. Uh, The escaped ones. I think that's obviously talking about the remnant that returns to Israel. Um, I think the branch... Mine says survivors, this version. Yeah. Of the exodus... Mm-hmm. Second Exodus, the branch of Yahuwah. Yeah. That's, that's talking about you know the king. I think there's other verses where it, talk, it talks about him as like a branch or uh, oh, there's that one in Numbers, that prophecy, the scepter of Israel, the star of Jacob. You know, yeah, uh, I think that's talking about the same thing. It's and it shall be. Sorry. Yeah, and it shall be that he who is left in Zion and he who remains in Jerusalem is called set apart. Everyone who is written among the living in Jerusalem, when Yahuwah has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and rinsed away the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Notice that spirit of burning is to purge impurities like alchemy it's obviously not eternal punishment then Yahuwah shall create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her gatherings a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for over all the esteem shall be a covering and a booth for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain so that's pretty interesting. Uh, so I, just, I want to make another comment on that that reading. So it talked about uh, that day, and then it talked about the latter days. Uh, there's also another verse in Isaiah that kind of talks about this. Got to find it's in Isaiah 24. It says. Uh, So it will happen in that day that Yahuwah will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For Yahuwah of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. Kind of using the same language there, you see, it talks about that day and then the latter days, which are after that day. 
See that? Yeah. So I think that day obviously refers to, you know, the day of Yahweh, which took place, we think, in the first century, latter end of the first century, with Christ's second coming. And then it says, after many days after that, they will be punished. So it says, you know, on that day, the host of heaven, the host of heaven and the kings, says the host of heaven and the kings of the earth were uh, put in a prison. I believe that basically that's talking about, um, you know, like Tartarus. They were chained under the earth. These uh, principalities in heaven. Um. I also believe that Satan that Satan was chained under the earth. Uh, I think he's I think he's loose now. He was released fairly recently, but he was I think he was chained for a thousand years under the earth. He was punished. Uh, and then it says, "Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed." So this is talking about when Israel is restored. And there's other passages that describe this, like in Revelation and elsewhere, where it says when Israel is restored and Christ or Yahuwah is reigning on earth, it talks about there being no more sun or moon. Like, it's just his light. Like, he's lighting the earth. You're familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's what it's talking about there. Uh, so, Yeah. And, uh, so, Ross and I, we, uh, kind of like this one guy on YouTube. He's a Latvian guy. He goes by the name of, uh, Gatis, G-A-T-I-S, and his YouTube channel is a very weird name. I'm going to have to look it up just to say what it is. Yeah. So it's S V as in Victor. The numeral three mm-hmm. R I G E. Right. Yeah, but uh so this guy I I've been following actually for like years, like probably like over five years I think. <laughs> He used to he used to do these really good videos on like nine eleven. I think that was the first time I came across him. He did this really good like forty minute video just breaking down nine eleven and basically showing how there was video fakery involved with it. Basically how, you know it was a video hoax. You know, like it was the whole thing was like a pre uh pre-produced movie that was quote-unquote aired live on TV. Um, It was (laughs) CGI for the most part. And he exposed that in this video very well. And so he kind of got into like uh, diets and health after that. And he went through like five diets, I believe. And he like... He chronicled them all on YouTube, and he went from, like, you know, vegetarian to vegan, then to, like, raw vegan, I think, like, high-fat vegan, too, however the hell they do that. 
then he uh, he tried to transition into breatharianism, basically eating no food at all. So he was just like fasting, you know, just nonstop. And like all he was doing when he was fasting was sun gazing as well, like nonstop, like all throughout the day, just sun gazing. And I think he made it to like day sixty or something like that. He fasted for like two months straight. Wow. I didn't know he yeah. went that far. Huh? I didn't know he went that far. Yeah, I think so. I think he did. That's a feat. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then I think when he hit day sixty, he was like well he said he was like working out. He was basically like doing all his regular activities too when he was doing this. I mean, which that is like that's pretty pretty amazing. I mean, I don't know if it was a good idea. Obviously, in hindsight, probably not. But probably not. So on day sixty, he like he was in like a mall or something, and he said like his his muscles just like completely stopped working. Like <laughs> I don't know, like somebody called you know called the cops or whatever, and he got he had to go to the ER. And they ba- like the ba- they basically said like he was gonna die, so they had to like resuscitate him, you know, and they they kept him in the hospital. And uh, he basically had like a horrible experience, he said. But then he had to do like I think physical therapy after I don't know. He had to do all kinds of crap. Didn't he say that he uh, they told him his there was a sack of water swollen around his heart? Around his heart, you said? Around his heart, that's what he, yeah, that's what I remember. I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't remember that, but maybe. I don't know. But basically, after he got out, finally got out of all this, uh, he he went on a raw meat diet. Basically raw, you know, animal products, raw meat, primarily, and like... He put on muscle. He put on, like, a ton of muscle in, like, an extremely short period. I mean, this guy looked horrible, like, before. Even when he was on a raw vegan diet, he did not look good, okay? He was, like, thin as a rail, did not look good at all. He looked sickly. He was pale. He just did not look good. Yeah, greasy and... Yeah. (laughs) Nasty looking. Oh, yeah, yeah. He looked like a skeleton, basically. Um, but after he went on this diet, I mean, like, within a pretty relatively short period of time, I mean, he not only, like, completely turned his body around, like, he's, like, buff now, I mean, he's big, you know, but his attitude, like, totally changed, too, like, he was, like, kind of, he seemed always, like, depressed before, like, even before he was fasting, like, when he was on his vegan, he just seemed really, like, down, depressed. He didn't really joke around a lot. I don't know, like, his whole attitude and demeanor changed as well. Like, did a complete 180 after he got on this raw meat diet. Like, he swears by it now. Um, And not only does he eat raw meat, but he eats uh, rotten raw meat. Like, fermented rotten raw meat. Like, he puts it in... Yeah, that should be qualified. Yeah. He calls it he calls it quote unquote high meat. He actually thinks it's like he, he did a video where he has like his own food pyramid he made. It's like an inverted food pyramid, and he has like high meat as like his highest 
thing that he recommends eating under under sunlight. He sunlight's the highest on his food pyramid. You know, it's pretty interesting though, but uh so yeah, he like puts meat in jars and just lets them like sit out for like months. You know, and then he eats he eats from them. And so I kind of like follow his comments. Whenever he puts out a video, he, he responds a lot to people in the comments. And I follow his comments as well because, I mean, he's really knowledgeable, like, on this stuff. Like, he's not just, I mean, he actually, he's he's, he's actually very learned on this stuff, too. You can tell. He's definitely done his research. And he, he hasn't just tried these diets. Like, he studied, you know, he's definitely put in the research. Um, and uh, he, he had this comment that I actually wrote down. I thought it was really interesting. So he, I guess some vegan was on there, like, debating with him. And he said, quote, A vegan diet is the least nutritious diet there is, so of course it's automatically unhealthy. When you eat plants, your body goes into starvation mode, and if it's done long term, your cells will mutate to cancer cells because they can only use fat as fuel, just like it is with all animals. You are eating the least nutritious man-made diet ever right now, and it will take some time to run out of the nutrients before you start feeling terrible like all vegans. Constipation comes from plants, fiber. We, we mentioned this on the last call. So you will always have at least a little bit of it. The only way you could be free of constipation is to only eat animals. Your skin may be clearer because you cut out junk food. That's the case with many vegans. A cholesterol drop is terrible. It means that you're unhealthy and will die younger. You will not have more muscle growth without creatine ever. Only raw meat has it. Cavities are not only a sign of overusing sugar, which vegan diets are based on, but also nutritional deficiencies such as the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, F, K2, which are only found in animals. You don't listen to your body. You're being malnourished. Even with the milk. Okay. Yeah, so that was his comment. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> what do you think about it? Well, that flies in the face of a bunch of stuff I've always been told, but uh, I've seen him. I've seen his uh, videos. He, I mean, he's doing something right. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, the dude looks he, great. Oh, he looks like a like a German Ubermensch, like the freaking. I mean, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Exactly. He looks like an Overman, like no joke. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that was from this his last video that he put out, though, where is he's basically showing what he eats in a day. Because like everybody keeps messaging him about that. So it was pretty interesting. Uh, in the morning, like, he works out in the morning, and then after that he eats, like, three raw eggs, I think, or drinks them. And then he eats, I think, like, liver, raw liver. And then he drinks uh, raw milk as well. And then, like, he eats, again, like, at one thirty or something, like, three eggs and then more meat and then milk, and then that's it. But he says, like, uh, you know... If you're not, if you don't really have an act like an all-day active lifestyle like him or anything, like you'll only need to eat like that like once a day, and like you, you'll be good because it's just it's so nutritious that I mean you'll you'll be full, you know. 
the whole day. I mean, you won't need to eat again. That's one thing I uh, I kind of want to comment on. Like, people today, like, I mean, people are so ignorant today. They think it's a good thing that they're, like, hungry all day. They think that that's a sign that they're, like, healthy. You know? I mean, that's just insane. I've heard people talk like that before. Like, if you're hungry all day and you're eating, and you're eating, like, three meals a day, if you're eating three meals a day, you should not be hungry all day. Like, it's just, that just that just means you're either eating food that is completely nutritionally deficient, so it doesn't fill you up at all, or your blood sugar, you have so much insulin resistance because all you eat is processed sugary nonsense that you keep spiking your blood sugar levels and, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, no, you should yeah. be satiated uh, after a meal. That should be normal. That's how you, you yeah. Know, I mean, if you feel hungry, that's your body's way of saying, you know? Yeah. When a perfectly healthy person is hungry, their body shouldn't, uh, or I mean, when they're full, their body shouldn't be telling them that they're not full. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just, like my dad, for instance, like he'll eat, he'll eat like dinner, and then he'll eat after that, doing like he's still hungry. It's like he like it didn't even satiate him at all. It's just well, like like snacks in front of the TV after dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll like eat again before he goes to bed because he's like still hungry. He's like always hungry, dude, but he eats all the time. It's like that that Salt. cannot be good, you know. Like salty and sweet uh, chips and nuts and trail mix type stuff, or not even that good. Well, definitely not that good. But yeah. I mean, like sweets, yeah, yeah, like so. Yeah. So again, either he can't handle the blood sugar drops, you know, because he's his blood sugar's so high and he's, you know, or uh well, probably a combination of all of the above, but yeah. I mean, I only I mean, that's why I would recommend like intermittent fasting, like I personally only eat twice a day. I only eat well, sometimes I only even eat once a day. It just depends. Some, most days I eat, when I get up, I eat breakfast, and then I eat uh, dinner. So I'll, it'll be at least, you know, like 10 hours in between every meal. Um, and for me, like, after doing that for so long and, and fasting periodically as well, like, you, you, you become so much more insulin resistant, you know. And, I mean, you can go... Like, you're fine just eating, you know, like, once or twice a day. Like, you don't get, you're not hungry all the time. You're not, you know what I mean? Like, you're fine. That's interesting. Now, tell me, when you do go for a long stretch, like 10 hours with no food, do you, I mean, I remember back when I was in high school, I would usually skip lunch just because I didn't like to, I don't know, I was nervous a lot. I kind of was insecure and shy and. Uh-huh. I would often skip lunch uh-huh. and just fast, but I noticed that after a while, after a few hours after lunch, my stomach would start to have that gnaw, that gnawing kind of, kind of hot, kind of gnawing feeling in it. Uh-huh. Have you experienced anything like that, or is it comfortable no. for you? No, I don't, I don't experience it. No, 
I'm fine. And you say, and you say your diet is, you've conformed your diet to something approaching this uh, YouTube guy's raw meat stuff? Yeah. Hmm. Now, see, I hadn't uh, heard of this diet back then. and Well, I mean, I haven't, I definitely haven't cut out grains and I haven't right. cut out, you know, like all carbs. But you get more. Uh, I'm definitely eating a lot. I'm I'm eating way more fat more regularly for sure. That's interesting. See that I wasn't um, doing that. That might be why. I yeah. Wasn't, uh, it wasn't as easy for me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mhm. Yeah, but uh, another guy commented on his video. I wrote it down too. I thought it was pretty interesting because uh, he was drinking raw milk while he was eating. I've, I've read before that you're not supposed to, well, you're really not supposed to drink anything when you're eating or while you eat because it interferes with digestion. Oh, yeah. It could dilute the stomach acid. Yeah, and this basically that's what this guy commented. He said, quote, you should never mix milk with your meat meals. It impairs digestion. Keeper is okay to mix with meat as it is pre-digested but not too much. Also, you should never drink cold milk, room temperature at minimum. Also, drinking it fresh is best avoided. The best way to drink your milk is to let it sit out in a glass jar with some air in it. Helps bacteria along until it starts to get thick like yogurt. Not only does it pre-digest it, but it turns sour and converts many of the carbs, so it is much better that way. It is called clabber and is the main milk that has been consumed in the past before refrigeration. I mean, that's, that's real interesting. <laughs> so he's basically saying let it pre-ferment to break down a lot of yeah. the lactose. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? How basically, it's just everything we're told, like the complete opposite is the case. You know, they tell us, oh, bacteria is bad. You know, oh, you got to eat everything super fresh. You know, I mean, it's just... I mean, it seems to be like the opposite is the case. Like, you want it, the more bacteria, the better, you know? I, I don't know. Provi- provided it's not uh, anaerobically grown like botulism. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, it has to be the right kind of bacteria, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's basically, what was that name you said it was called? Flabber? Clabber, yeah, C-L-A-B-B-E-R. Oh, clabber. I thought, I thought you were saying flabber like flabby. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Clabber. Yeah, clabber. Yeah. I I mean, I, I drink... I drink my food cold. I don't, I don't drink, like, warm or room temperature, so I, I've never tried that, I guess. But yeah. I might have to start... I mean, I don't really drink, though, when I eat meals. I, I, I do do that. That's another thing, like, I've noticed when I've started eating a lot better is, like, when I eat, I don't know, like, I, like if I'm eating meat, for instance, since I never really eat meat cooked or, you know, I mean, I never eat meat that's not super rare if I do cook it. Yeah. I mean, I never feel like I need to drink because the the food is already so moist, you know? It's just, it's like I never really get parched when I'm eating, or I never feel like I need... I need to drink fluids or anything. But. Yeah, honestly, for me, if the uh, if there's a glass there, it's just a habit that I I drink out of it, you know. Right. But uh, right. 
No, when it's not there, when there's not a glass of liquid, I don't need it. Yeah. It's a psychological thing. Yeah, and like in the morning, what I usually eat in the morning is like fruit. I don't know, I, I like having something sweet for breakfast. I just, it's personal preference. Yeah, some good sugar. That, that's usually what a lot of breakfast food is, you know, but I mean, at least I, I, I eat fruit, usually like an orange or, I mean, I usually never have to drink anything there because, I mean, it's an orange, you know, or <laughs> the flavor wine, like that, that's so. what fruit is. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, though. So, now, Chris, you said, did you say you drink milk? You know, I do. I try to get, well, I mean, I, I, I wish I could get raw milk. I mean, I could yeah. get, I can get raw milk, but I would have to drive like two hours away just to get it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's so hard to get it now that they so that, it illegal to sell it to humans. I mean, I mean, to me, that like would be worth it if I actually got it. But like doing that regularly, that's that wouldn't be... It's not really feasible, you know. Right. But so I, I, you know, like I just I just recently, well, I was actually drinking almond milk, but I mean, I'm like, is this better than, you know, like pasteurized cow's milk, or is it not, or what, you know, like what? It's it's probably a little bit better than. I mean, once you pasteurize an animal's milk, you're basically just drinking goo. You know, it's all dead. The enzymes and the vitamins are broken down, and the bacteria are dead. It's kind of yeah, bloody yeah. after that. And then it, it just leaches calcium from your body too. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, but this yeah, this last time I got some. I mean, it's like the highest quality milk, cow's milk that you could get at the, you know, the uh, health food store that I go to. But I mean, it's still pasteurized, so. How good is it really? Probably not good. I mean, yeah, it just, it's, it sucks. I mean, it's, like, just, it's like we're only, we're, we can only drink water. Like, seriously, it's. Yeah. There's the evidence for uh, a conspiracy to slowly kill people. Yeah. Can't get the water. good milk. Water's no boring, water though. Water's boring. I can't drink that all, all the time. I already drink, like, a half gallon of water a day, you know? Like, and I drink that, like, throughout... That's what I That's what I ingest at work. Like, I bring, you know, a half gallon of water with me, and that's what I'm, you know, ingesting all day. And then... Yeah. I can't drink water again when I get home with, with my meal. Like, damn, man, that's a lot of water, <laughs> you know? I don't know. <laughs> and like, you got to worry about filtering it. Huh? You got to worry about filtering water too, with all the fluorine in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I have a pretty decent filter though. I mean, the Ber Berkeys are pretty good. They're pretty good quality. But uh, I was gonna say too. I mean, like. You can't really drink juices, like fruit juices or anything either, because those, I mean, that's legit, just pure sugar. So, I mean... Store, yeah, store-bought fruit juice, you mean? Yeah, I mean, even if it's, you know, organic, yeah, I mean, it's still, it doesn't matter. Like, fruit juice is not natural, you know? 
you're never going to be drinking you're never going to be drinking fruit juice out in nature. That's that's just way too much sugar. Like regardless, like no matter in what form, doesn't matter. You know. So. All right. So, want to continue on with the lost data, or did you have anything else you want to? Um, we should do a uh, a talk sometime where we go deep into the uh, all the health stuff, you know, like fasting and Weston Price and oh yeah, stuff like that. Definitely. But no, for now, yeah, I'm ready to okay. talk more about the. Uh, the lost data. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll we'll do that for sure. Okay, so so we just got done talking about you know the two variants of the name, the divine name, uh, Yahovah and Yahovi. Mm -hmm. uh, so now the next section is called "I am becoming" or "He is becoming," uh, and it says, "quote." And he is appearing, a messenger of Yahuwah to him. And he is saying, Yahuwah sees the humiliation of my people. I saw the oppression, and I am descending to rescue him. Moses, what name of him shall I say to them? Or that's what Moses says. And he is say saying Elohim to Moses, quote, I am what I am, end quote. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the I am sent me to you, end quote. Exodus 3.2 and 14. One possible translation of, quote, I am that I am, end quote, is also, quote, I am becoming, end quote. I-E-I, -E quote, he is becoming, end quote, is from the same root as A-E-I-E, -E, quote, I am, another of Yahuwah's name, or Yahuwah's names, meaning, quote, I am or I am becoming. See Exodus 3.2 and 14, scriptureforall.org. Literally, quote, A-E-I-E-A-S-H-R-A-E-I-E, -E -E, end quote. According to Strong's Concordance 1961, the expression, quote, I am, Hebrew haya or hava, means, quote, to be or become, end quote. For examples of its usage, see Genesis 1-3-1-5-2-7, became, 4-14, come, as in, quote, come to pass, end quote. Genesis 11.3, had, and Genesis 15.1, came, etc. Quote, the verbal form of ehe, or E-Y-E-H, is the third person singular masculine imperfect of the verb haya, H-A-Y-A-H. This verb haya does not mean to be, it is more nearly understood by the verb to become in English, though we can we cannot totally exclude the idea of being. The word ehe or ehe is in this imperfect form of the verb. Aye is just as rightly translated by our future tense as by our present tense. Therefore, it is just as correct to translate it by quote. I shall become whom I shall become, end quote, as by the phrase, quote, I am becoming whom I am becoming, end quote. Uh, from George A.F. Knight, A Christian Theology of the Old Testament, page 40 to 41. That's pretty interesting. 
It says, uh, the Hebrew language is very verb-oriented. Much importance is placed on the understanding of their usage. Unlike Greek or English, though, verbs are not considered as past, present, or future tenses, but rather perfect or imperfect, a complete or incomplete action. The name Yahweh may have originally been derived from the old Semitic root, He-Vah-Heh, Haba or Haya, meaning to be or to become, behind the name Yahweh. When pronouncing the letters Hey Vav Hey, the sound is phonetically very close to Yahovah. Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 3069 pronounced Yehovah or Jehovah. Though often rendered Haya, the word may have originally been pronounced much closer to Hey Vav Hey. See also the Sanskrit word meaning quote to be a huva. A-H-U-V-A. Quote, Yahovah, he causes to be, is a title given to all delegates of Yahovah of hosts or Yahovah of heaven. The Bible records Yahovah as being used by three angels at the same time in dealing with Abraham, Lot, and Sodom, whereupon Yahovah rained down fire from Yahovah in heaven. See Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Yahovah, with an I, Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 3069, is the only word applied to the one true God, Eloah, and is read by Jews as Elohim. Yahovah, Strong's Hebrew Dictionary 3068, with an A, is applied to other beings, as well as Yahovah of hosts, and is read as Adonai in those cases. Yahovah was changed to Adonai in 134 places by the Sophrim for this reason. Also see Bollinger's Appendix 32 to the Companion Bible for the list, end quote. Yahovah and Yahuwah are generally considered interchangeable, except where the compound name is Yahovah Elohim, where Jehovah or Yahovah was always used by the Sophrim. When quoting verses that one might desire to check in scriptureforall.org for the sake of consistency with the spelling used in that site, the spelling of Yahuwah has been retained in these quotes. But it is the position of this book that, based on the Middle Eastern, the cultural heritage shared with the Sanskrit, Ehuva, which means to be, the letter V is a better and more appropriate transliter- transliteration of the Hebrew letter Vav than W. So the creator's name is elsewhere usually spelled Y-H-V-H instead of Y-H-W-H. This might be said in modern times as Yehovah, Y-E-H-O-V-I-H, or Jehovah. The verse quoted before also bears considering in the context of this discussion on he is becoming or I am becoming. Quote, and... Y-H-W-H, he is becoming. U-E-I-E, I-E-V-E. Vav-He-Yod-He-Yod-He-Vav-He. King over all the earth. On that day, Y-H-W-H will become one, and his name one. Akkad, end quote. Zechariah 14.9. This verse actually uses the compound title of Y-H-V-H, accompanied by the phrase, quote, he is becoming, end quote, a variation of the meaning of Yahovah's name as defined by Exodus 3.2 and 14. 
1919 Peaks commentary with over 60 co contributors gives us the following information. These were such as professors of Bible languages and professors of biblical exegesis, etc. This commentary says, with reference to Exodus 3.14, quote, I will be that I will be, end quote, is supported by Robertson Smith, Davidson, Driver, M. Neal, and others. I will be is actually A-E-I, and is used as such in Hosea 13.10. It has, however, been changed to, quote, where, question mark, end quote, concealing this understanding. The definition, quote, I will become, brings out the implications both of the root and tense of the verb, hava or haya. The root denotes becoming rather than being, and the tense, imperfect, marks uncompleted process or activity, end quote. So, just a little comment on this. So, if the root, if the name really means I am becoming instead of I, you know, I am, or, you know, I am that I am, if it's I, I will be, or I am becoming, you know, if it's an incomplete verb tense, mm -hmm. then that kind of would lend support to our emanationist belief, you know, that like, you know, everything emanated out of God, so it's like he becomes who he is through his emanations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Huh. Kind of interesting. You know, he, he, his his character and his attributes are, are highlighted or they're made manifest through his, like, the material world, which is an emanation of him. I don't know. So it says, uh, Charles Giannotti, 1985, quote, the meaning of the divine name, end quote, Bibliotheca Sacra 39, January, March, claims that all examples of uh, HYH or HVH refers to the future, except possibly to. When Bible translations use the present rendering, quote, I am what I am, end quote, the translators deviate from the way they translate of HYH elsewhere. YHVH is and always was one with his Elohim. It is thus that YHVH, the quote, I am becoming, end quote, could, if he so cho chose, declare both that, quote, I am becoming gods, as he also says, I am becoming plants for food, Genesis 129, and I am becoming animals, 124, and I am becoming humans, 2-7, and I am becoming oneness, end quote. YHVH Elohim, or YHVH Ekod, Deuteronomy 6.4. See, that's kind of what I was saying, is what she just said. You see that? Yeah. That's pretty interesting. When the correct Hebrew names are used, it can be seen that this understanding was present in the ancients, since with the Hebrew words in place, 1 Kings 18.39 says, quote, YHWH, he is the Elohim. Y-H-W-H, he is the Elohim, end quote, with the plural predicator. Literally, I-E-V-E, E-U-A-E-A-L-A-E-M, I-E-V-E-E-U-A-E-A-L-A-E-M. Remember E in Hebrew, the word the. Word for word, this literally says, Y-H-V-H, the gods. 
not why HVH is the God, end quote. Because in the term e alaim, the E stands for the word the, and the Eem ending pluralizes. This verse very clearly explains that YHVH and not and only YHVH is one with the Elohim. Hmm. It is important to understand the phrases I am becoming and or he is becoming. The single word A-E-I-E that is translated incorrectly as the phrases I am or I shall be from Exodus 3.14 clearly contains within it the root word I-E-I implying become rather than be. I-E-I has been translated in the very first verses of the Old Testament, Genesis 1.3, as the phrase, quote, he is becoming, end quote. Yet this has been given without the understanding that these first verses of the Old Testament invoke the presence of A-E-I-E, I-E-V-E, or that is, Y-H-V-H, as he is known by his title, quote, he is becoming, end quote. Notice that by not capitalizing the phrase, the current translation eliminates the understanding that this is actually a reference to Y-H-V-H or A-E-I-E, the quote, I am becoming, end quote. In Exodus 3.14, Y-H-V-H's messenger says, quote, say to the sons of Israel, the I am becoming sent me. This phrase translated as I am is well established as Yahweh's name. This makes the two words I-E-V-E or Y-H-V-H and A-E-I-E with their similar spelling synonyms for one another. This gives us the definition of Y-H-V-H, which said definition is often said to have been lost in prehistoric times. Hmm. So it says, uh, now therefore to accompany the word Elohim with, quote, he is becoming end quote, or Elohim, i.e., I, as is done throughout the creation story, starting in Genesis 1-3, when the Elohim are speaking in oneness with the Creator and then making a record of their presence. Genesis 2-3-4 through 4, shows that YHVH, or Yahweh, was always present with the Elohim, since this is also obviously a variation of, quote, I am becoming, end quote. The tense, i.e., I, is thus simply the basis of A-E-I-E, making all three of these words related to our understanding of YHVH and all with the same definition of becoming contained within them. The variation IEI repeatedly accompanies the name Elohim almost from the beginning of the Genesis creation story, such as, is, such as in the phrase, quote, Elohim, IEI, R, U-I-E-I-R, end quote, found in Genesis 1-3. Or, quote, Elohim, he shall become light, and he is becoming light, end quote. I-E-I from the same root as A-E-I-E, I am, another of Yahweh's names, meaning to be, or I am becoming, A-E-I-E, A-S-H-R-A-E-I-E, Exodus 3.2 and 14. That word, I-E-I, has been given as, quote, he shall become, end quote, and it seems to have been accepted to not be a variant of the word I-E-V-E or Y-H-V-H, or at least it is not translated as such. According to the instructions given in Exodus 3.14, the Old Testament shows that Y-H-V-H or I-E-V-E, speaking through his Elohim, 
defined himself to Moses as the A-E-I-E, or the I am becoming. Therefore, to say I-E-I, or he is becoming, could be the Elohim's invocation of Yahweh's presence and thus his power to create. This shows that the Creator, as A-E-I-E, the I Am Becoming, was present from the beginning with his Elohim, since I-E-I is from the same root as A-E-I-E. It lacks elegance to say that one word is, word for word, three words, even though sometimes it is not possible to find one word that fits. If, however, one includes this recognized definition of YHVH from Exodus 3, 2, and 14, A-E-I-E, or I am becoming, as synonymous with I-E-I, he is becoming, the name used by the Elohim in the creation story, while reading the first chapter of Genesis, then it is obvious that this term, I-E-I, he is becoming, in fact, refers to YHVH, or Yahweh, and accompanies the word Elohim from the very beginning of Genesis. So even the fundamentalists need not worry if the term Elohim is finally given its rightful meaning, for Yahweh, or I-E-V-E, or A-E-I-E, was with them even in the creation story. If one were to seek a single word for I-E-I, or A-E-I-E, rather than three, it is necessary to find one that means, He shall become. The meaning, He shall become, also implies, He shall create from Himself. With I-E-I as a basis of I-E-V-E, it fits quite nicely to give this word as another variation of Yahovah or Y-H-V-H, since another name for Yahovah that implies creating is creator. I-E-V-E, I-E-V-E, or Y-H-V-H, he helped me. I-E, Yah, or Jah, translated as the Lord, is my strength. And melody of I-E-U-I-E-I, Yah, he is becoming, to me, for salvation. End quote. Psalm 118.14. See also verse 18 and 19. Quote, I-E, end quote, is a recognized abbreviation of I-E-V-E, even often translated the same as Y-H-V-H or I-E-V-E. In English, it is rendered Yah, Y-A or Yah, Y-A-H, Isaiah 12, 2, 26-4, 38-11, and Psalm 68-4. So it is also obviously related to I-E-V-E in that both words contain the same root, I-E, and since it is so frequently coupled with the name Elohim in the phrase Elohim I-E-I, or Elohim I-E-I, meaning Elohim I am becoming, a relationship to the phrase Elohim, I-E-V-E, or Elohim, I am becoming, and to the word I-E-V-E, or Y-H-V-H, also seems obvious. Y-H-V-H, or I-E-V-E, is also coupled in the same way that I-E-I is, with the name Elohim, and while it may conjointly have the meaning, he is becoming, it is suggested that as a single word, it would more closely be interpreted and defined word for word, with a meaning somewhat more synonymous with creator, making the term Elohim I-E-I mean the creator's Elohim, exactly synonymous with Elohim I-E-V-E, or that is, Yahovah's Elohim, or Y-H-V-H's Elohim. Quote, You are my witnesses, says Yahuwah, before me was no Al, or El, i.e. all, and after me not, Quote, he shall become, end quote, I-E-I-E. 
I, even I, Yahuwah, and apart from me, there is no I-E-I-E, end quote. Isaiah 43.10, or, quote, he is becoming, given by some as Savior, but translated as, quote, other by King James Version, Strong Hebrew Dictionary, 3467, Salvation. There are no doubt some others who, who have attempted to make the connection between I-E-V-E, A-E-I-E, and Y-H-V-H, and I-E-I. He is becoming. But organized religion constitutes a powerful voice, and when the connection cannot be agreed upon, the fallback position is that the definition of Y-H-V-H or I-E-V-E was lost in the distant past. It is, however, still there in the spelling, in the definition given in Exodus 3, 2, and 14, and for the diligent, open-minded student, it can be rediscovered. Y-H-V-H means I am becoming, for nothing can come into existence that is not of him. There is much, however, that is far removed from him in their minds by way of the darkness of ego and ignorance, lost from his light and therefore from enlightenment concerning his oneness. Quote, The Zohar says that the Elohim used this word to form the world. End quote. Article on Yah, Yaho, or Yahoo, Encyclopedic Theosophical Glossary, Yah, YZ, Theosophical Press. The Hebrew letters translated as IE in the online lexicon at scriptureforall.org are further translated into English as Yah, Y-A, Yah, Y-A-H, Yaho, Y-A-H-O, etc. The repetitive vibrating sound, I-E, 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 is movement and rest, a waveform, as in, quote, Elohim vibrating, end quote. M-R-C-H-P-H-T-H or T-T-H, yeah, Genesis 1-2. A waveform, perhaps similar to this, was spoken by the myriads of Elohim, quote, and he is saying, Elohim, I-E-I, end quote. Genesis 1-3. So on a related note, all puns intended, sounded in this way by the countless Elohim, this root of Y-H-V-H's, or I-E-V-E, other name, A-E-I-E-I-M could be considered as another variation of Y-H-V-H. Quote, and he is blessing Elohim in the seventh time. He ceases from all of work which he creates Elohim to make. These genealogical annals in the time of Y-H-V-H Elohim making the earth in its heavenly place. End quote. Genesis 2, 3 through 4. So she, she she translated uh day, you know, the King James translates Beum, the Hebrew, as day. She translated it as time. Um, for the thousands of Elohim to speak his name in unity would be a source of energy called vibrating in Genesis one two, or as in physics, the definition of work is to transfer energy to an object. This would do the work of separating and stratifying matter into darkness and light and the various levels and densities in the creation story, just as shaking a bowl of dirt will bring the larger pebbles to the surface. <laughs> so, we we believe that, don't we? Yeah. We believe that, you know, sound was the primary mechanism for, uh, well basically creating everything. Uh, you know, we believe that obviously everything is frequency, 
everything every, everything is light, everything is frequency, everything's energy, you know, everything's vibrations, sound, and that's what, you know, what separated everything into its various densities. You know. So matter basically the most dense matter like in our where we're at, you know, on the earth, or matter is very dense, it's it's just matter is just stratified or uh basically like crystallized light, you know. That's uh you know, it's vibrating at that density uh, via sound frequency. Um it says uh, in one of the texts from the Nagamati library, Jesus tells his followers that the sign of the Father is within them. Then he says, quote, and when they ask, what is the sign of the Father within you, you tell them it is movement and rest, end quote. Gospel of Thomas, 50. In biblical texts, we constantly meet with the expression, the Elohim, or e Elohim, ha Elohim, or the Elohim. But in no instance do we meet with the expression the Yahovah or the YHVH. Imagine how silly and inappropriate it would it would sound if someone referred to me, for example, as the Martha. It would be equally illogical for Yahovah to call himself by the very same name, Elohim, which he uses to address many of his created beings, except in a context such as when it is explained, as in the Shema, that he is one with his Elohim. Indeed, it would be absurd to speak of a singular being as the Yahovah, or to use the word the in any context except speaking of a multiple number of individuals or in conjunction with a title. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely agree with her on that. If anyone doubts that the church can be wrong, oh, okay, so here she gets into her uh, her heliocentric nonsense. She says, if anyone doubts that the church can be wrong, look again at their treatment of Galileo. <laughs> <laughs> For taking the stance that the earth orbits around the sun rather than the sun around the earth, as was held by the church. It took the church all this time to admit their mistake, and only recently did the church formally apologize for their treatment of Galileo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, ignore that. Ignore her She's on that. not as woke as we'd like her to be. No. Just as the stubborn stance of the church with Galileo was an attempt to egotistically avoid believing that our Earth was not the center of the universe... The convoluted interpretations of the word Elohim by organized religion is an attempt, albeit perhaps unconscious, to avoid understanding what the ancients knew all along. That is, humans were not the first sentient humanoid or Elohim-like beings whom Yahweh had created. They all want to believe that Earth and humans are of the first and central most importance in the universe. Okay, so, yeah. So, basically, she thinks the Elohim are, are basically like aliens, extraterrestrials. Extraterrestrial beings. In, in her heliocentric cosmology. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know why she's appealing to the ancients on that when that's completely diametrically opposed to what the ancients believed. <laughs> But uh, whatever. Well, she seems to have done a lot of good work in this other area here, so maybe she just hadn't studied it deep enough. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this book, 
Uh, when was it written? Uh, I mean, it was before, obviously, the flatter thing took off, too. Mm. I mean, there was, dude, there was hardly anybody who was not a heliocentrist before that became a movement on YouTube. I mean, I wasn't, but, like, dude, I was, like, alone. Like, there was nobody else. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, the last person to write about it would be, what, Samuel Robotham? Yeah. Yeah, there was no... Semi-public consciousness? Yeah, I mean, there hadn't been a book on it, you know, since then, you know, written. So, I mean, I was really surprised to hear that Drake wasn't either. Drake Drake was a... He was a geocentrist. I mean, that was... That surprised me. He said he, he said he never bought into the heliocentric thing. So, yeah, people don't go into that unless, you know, like, they're so, we're also programmed to laugh at that as soon as we hear it and then just brush it off. Nobody looks yeah. into that unless they have a sufficiently uh, nagging doubt given by good evidence, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know. I never bought it. I mean, I was a... I was never a flatter. I'm still not a flatter. I was never a flatter, though, before that came out, though, either. But I was a... I mean, I didn't believe the Earth was a sphere. Hmm. I was a near flatter, which I still am. Yeah, flat Earth is just a... For lots of us, it's just a a short, you know, a, an abbreviation for non-globe theorist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I think they obviously, it's an artificial term. You know, they they created it deliberately, uh, not only to work the dialectic, but you know, to give people that impression that. You know, oh, when they say flat Earth, they mean it's flat, like like a table or a piece of paper, you know, which no flat Earther believes, but obviously it has that association by that name, you know. So people are obviously going to reject it just on that, because, I mean, it is, that is absurd. I mean, obviously it's not flat like a piece of paper, but no, one, no flat Earther even believes that, so... And it just shows that, you know, obviously this is an artificial term that they rolled out there. The whole guilt by association thing again. Plus it creates a straw man just with the term, you know, that no flat earther even believes. We we don't believe that the earth is... Flat earthers don't even believe that the earth is flat, like literally flat, you know. Obviously it has character, it has, you know... uh, uh, irregularity, surface irregu- irregularity. Um. So that was it for that section. Uh, you want me to continue or?
Uh, yeah. I can't. Okay. Uh, I'll think of another side tangent to have as a break in as soon as I think of it. But yeah, for now, go ahead. Okay, so the next section I'll read is on the Watchers. So it says, uh, quote, My God, Eloa, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, Elohim. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, warrior, O-I-R, and a holy one came down from heaven. End quote. Daniel 4, 9, 13, also 5, 11. This verse shows that at least, I want to comment on that verse actually. I actually have a Bible where all throughout Daniel, and I noticed this a long time ago when I read it. I think it might be in my uh, Septuagint Bible. But it translated, uh, it literally said the spirit of the holy gods, plural. It actually translated that as plural all throughout that book. I remember reading that and being like, you know, that standing out to me, like, what the heck is this? But, you know, I would say that would go to support, you know, our our theory that we talked about in the last call, that, you know, the Holy Spirit is a composite entity that has plurality to it, and it, it, it encompasses all of the Elohim. You know, it's this uh, singular plurality. You know, it's all the spirits are connected. Um, so that's why it said that. Or it was translated that way. This verse shows that at least some of the Watchers were in association with the Holy Ones. Not all were evil, as some would have it. Of note also are many references in religious literature, including this one from an Orphic or Pythagorean initiation rite. Quote, Of earth and starry heaven, child am I. My race is of the heavens. End quote. That was from J.R.S. Mead, Did Jesus Live 100, uh, 100 B.C., page 384. The Elohim are also sometimes referred to in other Hebrew literature and various records from the ancient Middle East as the Watchers. In Hebrew, the Zophim, Z-O-P-H-I-M, from the same root as eyes, or as the Ur, U-R, of Sumerian and Babylonian literature. They were also known as the Elohim, E-L-A-H-H-I-N, plural of Elah, E-L-A-H-H, the equivalent of Elohim and Chaldean. That was from Wade Cox, FAQ, Bible Study, Old Testament, number 57. Quote, the Watchers were a specific race of divine beings known in Hebrew as Nun Resh Ayin, or quote, Irin, I-R-I-N, end quote. Resh Ayin, Ear, I-R, in singular. However, another possible meaning of Ayin will be discussed further on. Meaning, quote, those who watch or those who are awake, end quote. Which is translated into Greek as Egregoris or Grigori, meaning watchers. That's from Andrew Collins from The Ashes of Angels, The Forbidden Legacy of a Fallen Race, 1996, page 3. Quote, Ptah and the other gods were called in Egyptian neuter, N-T-R, which means guardian or watcher. Zechariah's Stitchin, the wars of gods and men. 
The Book of Jubilees, known in early times as the Apocalypse of Moses, was allegedly written down by Moses at Mount Sinai. Scholars, though, believe it was most likely composed in the 2nd century B.C., and thus can be referenced to reflect some religious thinking from around that time. The following quote is to be found in the Book of Jubilees. Quote, For in his days the angels of the Lord descended upon earth, those who are named watchers, that they should in instruct the children of men, that they should do judgment and uprightness upon the earth. End quote. During, quote, during the fabled first time, Zeptepi, when the gods ruled, the Urshu, a category of lesser divinities whose title meant the Watchers, end quote, was from Graham Hancock, Fingerprints of the Gods. Well, uh, yeah, it says the human interbreeding with beings from elsewhere is also mentioned in other Hebrew data. For example, the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch, probably a second century or so. Okay, so she she says it's a forgery here, but um, I don't believe that about the original Book of Enoch. She says uh, probably a second century or so BCE forgery, since it contains linguistic anachronisms that place it much later than a book written by the grandson of Adam before the time of Abraham. Well, that doesn't mean it's a forgery. That just means it might not have been written by the, by the actual Enoch. However, it still attests to common themes understood by Jews of the second or third century. Gives us another reference: Book of Enoch six one quote. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And 15.2 Say to the watchers of heaven who have sent thee to intercede for them, quote, You should intercede for men and not men for you. Wherefore have ye left the high, holy, and eternal heaven, and lain with women, and defiled yourselves with the daughters of men, and taken to yourselves wives, and done like the children of earth, and begotten giants as your sons? And though ye were holy, spiritual, living the eternal life, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women, and have begotten children with the blood of flesh. And as the children of men have lusted after flesh and blood, as those also do who die and perish... But you were formerly spiritual, living the eternal life, and immortal for all generations of the world. End quote. R.H. Charles, the Book of Enoch. The Dead Sea Scrolls also mentions the Watchers, suggesting that they are spirits or angels. This mention seems to imply that not all spirits or angels who watch us are good. Apparently some are evil and try to win us over to do evil. This is perhaps one reason why Jesus said, quote, Lead us not in, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. End quote. Matthew 6, 13. Quote, I saw watchers in my vision, the dream vision. Two men were fighting over... Oh, yeah, this is from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Two men were fighting over me and holding a great contest over me. I asked them, Who are you that you are thus empowered over me? One of them was terrifying in his appearance, in his visage like a viper... This watcher, so is he, he answered me, king of evil, end quote. Testament of Amram, 4Q, 535, manuscript B, or 4 Qumran.
So that uh, that is actually an interesting excerpt that I remember out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, it describes one of the Watchers' appearance as like a viper, like a reptilian. <laughs> you thinking of, you thinking maybe a uh, seraph? Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes. To, it's just further evidence that there, you know, there's beings up there that look are reptilian in appearance, you know. Hmm. And uh, well, this gets complicated. <laughs> I think that they've not only well they've had children on Earth that reflect that appearance, but I also think that there were they had lower forms or well, man, this gets real confusing. So, for the audience, so the Genesis in the Genesis story, you know that there was the serpent, the Nakash, right? And it said that you know he was the most cunning of all the beasts of the field that you know Yahuwah had created. You know, so he was some kind of serpentine race that was created on Earth. You know, some kind of earthly serpentine race. And, uh, you know, as part of his punishment, it said that he was to eat dust, you know, and basically be uh, made low, you know, made lower than all the other creatures of the earth to crawl on his belly, you know. And uh, I've actually, I've studied that a lot, what that meant. And uh, I've heard heard interpretations from, like, Michael Heiser and other, other people who are very credible. And other people have come independently to this conclusion as well. But it basically meant that uh, his race was to be um, forced underground or into, like, Sheol, into the cavern realms as punishment. Basically, that was, was, that's why I said he would eat dust, because it was, like, under the earth. Um, and he'd be made lower than all the other creatures. And... You know, this would explain all of these accounts, you know, and like, well, uh, I guess cryptozoology or UFOology or, you know, like 40 in accounts where people, there have been people who have been underground and they've came across these beings, these reptilian creatures, humanoid creatures. Um, well, I mean, there you go. I think that's why, because <laughs> uh, there is a serpentine race that was forced underground as part of their punishment, and they were the the Nakash. And I think they were an earthly reflection, or like a lower form of a, a heavenly, you know, creature, like the higher and lower form again. Just like I think all the animals were basically made in the image of you know heavenly creatures, you know, on Earth as it is in heaven again. So, what you do you think about that? that a, a bunch of horror movies are actually true. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I think that most fiction is true. <laughs> That's the ultimate red pill. All fiction is true. <sighs> but uh, yeah. So I think that the Nakash, you know, the primary Nakash, the one that was involved in the garden. I think that he was, uh, well, he was, I think, actually think that he was the lower form of, you know, Satan. He was the earthly avatar at that time of Satan. Hmm. So 
receivers are a reflection of him. So, so I think so. I think Satan is a is a seraph. He's a he's a seraph, seraph. That's the singular for you know seraphim, plural. He's a this this, this class, a very high ranking class of angel. You know that's uh, has basically they're basically dragons. You know. Um, so yeah. And it also explains, you know, like for instance, like Chinese mythology where their god they have their gods are basically dragons. Um you know, these heavenly there's these heavenly dragons that are divine. Could explain all this. And not all of them are evil too, you know, like some of them are benevolent. Well, obviously not all the ser- seraphim are evil. You're gonna have good ones as well. So that would explain that. So. Any other comment? That's something to think about. Yeah. The only, uh, I mean, in fiction, dragons are just about always bad guys. Oh, I know. Yeah. And especially like uh, Sunday school, you know. Yeah. They te- they teach that serpentine or or dragon uh figures are always satanic in nature. Well, you know what's funny? I actually think that uh well, I actually think that Yahuwah and basically the seven archangels that stand before the throne, I think they all have dragon like qualities as well. Huh. There's actually verses in uh in scripture where it seem to might suggest that with Yahuwah, like it says that smoke will come out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth and describes him in like dragon-like terms. Uh, And there's also the, well, there's the tradition, the later tradition in Gnosticism where they, they actually thought that the Demiurge, who they thought was Yahweh, but they called him Yaldabaoth. Uh, they thought that he was his form was a, a dragon with a lion's head. Um, obviously, I, I think that was a you know that was a concocted. I don't think that's true. Obviously, I think that was an artificial uh, invention, but it wasn't entirely false. You know, it, it contained you know, a kernel of truth in it. They just they twisted it. Hmm. Obviously, Yahweh was not evil. You know, like they made it, they twisted it to be, but. Um, I think that might be he might have some dragon like characteristics possibly. I don't know. Uh yeah, I mean it's interesting. I uh I used to watch like this cartoon too, it's called Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of it. I didn't watch it but I've seen little snippets. Yeah. Well, I mean there was uh the whole like premise of the show is there's like this dragon that Obviously, it's called Dragon Ball, you know, or these, like, I think seven Dragon Balls that they would, if they found them all, like, they were, like, hidden and scattered throughout the earth. If they found them all and gathered them all, they they could summon this dragon that was basically like the god of the Dragon Ball universe. He was called Shenron. He was was just like a, a dragon, like, he was this massive dragon. And like, like he would uh, grant them a wish, like three wishes, I think, or something. I mean, basically, he was God, you know. I just think that's interesting how he was. They made him a dragon, you know. 
so yeah, I, you know, I mean, Satan, Satan apes God, you know, so, I mean, he's a dragon as well. I don't know. I mean, kind of interesting. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So we would also affirm a belief in what's called the serpent seed doctrine. I think, Ross, you would affirm that, wouldn't you? Yeah, some variant of it. Yeah. Basically, I believe that, well, the the Nakash, the serpent creature in the garden, obviously, it wasn't a snake, okay? I mean... Obviously, this was a humanoid creature. You can deduce that just from reading it in context. You know, it's something standing and walking around with Adam and Eve, you know, talking to them. It's intelligent. You know, it has human-like, humanoid characteristics. Um, yeah, it's not just a little garter snake or rattlesnake. It's... Yeah. Well, is that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... I believe that basically it was the well, and there's traditions of this, like Jewish legends and traditions that have been preserved. That basically they thought that uh, their name for Satan was Samael. They retained, you know, this more archaic name for Satan, Samael. You notice the L ending there as well, mm-hmm. just like the other angels, Michael or Mikael and Uriel and Gabriel. And uh, Samael actually meant, uh, I think, venom of God or poison of God. Pretty interesting. But they believe that Samael or Satan, who they thought was the angel of death, they believe that he basically took control of the serpent or, like, possessed him and, like, spoke through him as his mouthpiece. And used him as, like, basically his avatar, you know? Like, there were... He wasn't actually Satan. He just he was the the instrument that Satan used. Like there was a heavenly Satan that was still in heaven, you know, a spiritual Satan that used this earthly instrument who was the serpent. And uh so I would agree with that. And I believe that he possessed the serpent or took control of him. And basically seduced Eve and impregnated her um, and gave birth to Cain, who I think was uh, the son the son of Satan. I believe you can you can deduce this from the Bible. I mean, it's pretty explicit on the New Testament. Uh, Says you know Cain was of the wicked one, and if you look you look at that word in the in the you know the Greek it means of as in progeny or uh, offspring. Um, I know there's other verses as well. Um, I just can't remember them right now. Uh, can uh, he you? calls Christ calls the uh, Pharisees and was it the scribes or one of those groups yeah. that was always annoying him and trying to get him killed. He calls them a brood of vipers at least once or twice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talking about how they, how their forefathers killed the prophets and they 
you know, and they continue in their forefathers' footsteps, just like Cain killed Abel? Well, yeah, he obviously connects them with that bloodline because he says, you know, you were responsible for all the blood of the righteous ones of the earth, you know, from Zechariah all the way to Abel. Um, right. So he's connecting them with an actual bloodline. And uh, there's something, I think he says something about their father, and he, he calls him, like, the first murderer or something. I can't remember the verse, though. Um, you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. See if I can look it up. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, the first murderer, well, who was that? Well, that was Cain. Yeah. So. John eight forty four. Okay, hold on. You yeah. want me to read it? Yeah. Read it. Right. right. You can go ahead and read it. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Right. Yep. Or speaks his native language, you know, famous yep. versions. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, well, who's the first murderer in the Bible? Well, that was Cain. Um... Well, actually, I mean, that was, I guess, Satan and Cain, you know, both, because Cain was a, uh, Cain was like a lower, lower form of Satan. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if you investigate, like, uh, you know, a lot of people object to this and be like, oh, what about Genesis 4-1, you know, where it says, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she gave birth to, you know, Cain. Okay, well, there's actually a known medical phenomena that still, that still happens. It's like, it's a known phenomena. Um, I forget what it's called, but... You can have a, a case where a woman is impregnated by basically uh, two different fathers, and she can have twins from two different fathers. Brody. I think it's called like twinning or something. I don't remember the name, but I mean it's a legit phenomenon, and that's what I believe happened with Cain and Abel. They were twins, but they had two different two different fathers. Um, and that's why it says, you know, and Adam, and Adam knew Eve's wife, and she gave birth to Cain, and then it says, you know, and after that, she gave birth to Abel. So, you can't, you can't use that verse to then say, oh, he was the father of Cain. Well, he might have just been the father of Abel with that verse, see? She might have already been pregnant with Cain from another father. And you're also going to want to, you also got to look at that verse where they call it the Proto-Evangelion, where after they'd sinned and God calls them out on it, 
And yep. he, uh, he says there will be enmity between your oh, seed, yeah. talking, talking to the serpent, and the woman's seed. Right, right. Yeah, Genesis, what, 3-5? Or 3-15, Yeah. Yep, that's that one. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's, that's probably the most explicit verse where you have to deduce that there's a serpent seed. I mean, and to me, I mean, a, a physical serpent seed, because obviously the seed of the woman, I mean, who's going to, everybody interprets that literally. They interpret that as a physical bloodline. But then, on the other hand, they spiritualize pointing, the serpent. Pointing to to Christ coming in the distant future. Yeah, you can't spiritualize one thing and take something else literal in the very same verse. That's <laughs> yeah. That's what they tell us to do. Is you know, yeah. for kids, is to that verse. <laughs> you know how there's some people are. You know, there's always the confusion over is this verse a metaphor or is this verse literal. In that one, they train us to interpret it as both in the same exact verse. I know. It's crazy. I know. Well, I also think you can deduce, you know, from uh, from Eve's punishments as well. Notice how they're all relating to childbirth. You know, he says, I will increase your pain, childbirth. Uh, her and the serpent's punishments were very similar. Um, you know, they had to deal with offspring and childbirth. Well, why is that? Well, if the punishment fits the crime, then what was the crime? Hmm. Was it just Point. eating? Was it just eating some fruit off of a tree? I I don't think so. No, I think that might have been a euphemism for something else. I think she ate of the cer- I think. Well, I actually think that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was actually, a, well, this is going to get more complicated, but you can deduce through other passages in the Bible that uh, the Bible actually symbolizes uh, people with with trees, tree symbolism. There's multiple passages where it does this. And I believe that's what was going on with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I think that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was basically Satan, represented Satan. And, you know, Eve ate of his fruit, or the, who was, you know, in the form of the serpent, and it was uh, basically a euphemism for a sexual act, and, you know, she was impregnated with, uh, you know, with Cain. And I think you see that uh, later in the New Testament as well, because there's a passage where Paul is rebuking one of the churches for, like, sexual immorality. And he says, uh, basically, do not be wholly seduced like Eve was. Let me uh, let me find that passage. Um So I can quote that, right? Yeah, Second Corinthians eleven three. Well, what starts at Second Corinthians eleven one? Yeah, it says, uh, "I hope you will bear with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I promised you to one husband 
to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Notice the, the sexual language there, you know, the, the marriage language. Mm-hmm. You know, I am afraid, however, that just as Eve was wholly seduced by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be led astray from your simple and pure devotion to Christ. So I just find it interesting how the context is on, you know, uh, being betrothed to one husband, and then he relates that to how Eve was seduced by the serpent, you know? <laughs> Pretty interesting. I never caught that before. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think the word there as well that's that's translated into uh, deceived. Let me look it up. It means like wholly seduced. Um, uh, let's see. What Eve's name? Huh? You're saying Eve's name means that? Eve's name? Is that what you said? No, I said the word that got translated into into deceived. Oh, deceived. In, okay. In that passage, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, uh, it's exapateo, to seduce wholly, or to deceive. To seduce wholly. Okay. I mean. So yeah. Uh, So, uh, basically, Ross and I think that that is who is in control. Basically, the highest echelon under, you know, Satan and his spiritual hierarchy. It's the highest echelon of the earthly hierarchy are these uh, Cainites of this bloodline that goes all the way back to Cain, connected with Cain. And... uh, which will hereafter be referred to as the Canaanite Subterranean Techno Archon Priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> for short. Well, if you think of a witty acronym for that. But but yeah, we think that they're, they're subterranean. They reside underground. Um, obviously, that would make sense. The height of civilization would you know, be underground, out of public sight, um, where they can freely do whatever they wish, do any experiments they want, you know, have all the high technology completely out of public sight. Um, I mean, it it makes perfect sense. And I think that, you know, the highest the highest levels are basically either pure blooded or as close as close to pure blooded as possible. So they probably only breed within their within their very close uh family relations, you know, like how it was in the old testament sexual laws, you know, they'd breed uh or they'd uh take take someone from like their father's tribe or whatever, you know, it was very uh, close, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
So, yeah, I think you could have both the Nakash Serpentine race underground and this, uh, you know, the Canite race as well underground, both together, probably working together. Um, you know, the, the Nakash obviously being the father of the Canite race. Uh, obviously, you know, I mean, did, did did God only make one Nakash creature in the garden, or were there more? You know, so, I mean, can, the, can they breed amongst themselves? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. Probably. Why would he only make one? That'd be bizarre. Considering he was just, he was called one of the, quote, beasts of the field. So, I'm assuming there's more than one. It was a type of creature that was made. So. But I mean, it would also explain the great variety and diversity in these uh, UFO accounts and, abdu- and abduction accounts involving reptilians. There's there's uh, great variety and diversity amongst them, and apparently, when you when you when they go up in hierarchy. They basically get more, like, they get more, uh, they have more reptilian features. They get more, like, inhuman. The higher you go up in hierarchy, like, the highest ones have, like, wings and horns. And then when you get lower down hierarchy, some of them don't even have horns, or some of them don't have horns, some of them don't have wings. They get more dragon-like the higher you go. So... You know, I think that's probably because it's, you know, that's taking into account both this Nakash race, who's probably more dragon-like, and then, uh, you know, the Canite race as well, which probably, you know, I don't think they have wings, and they might have horns, you know. I think they're more humanoid-looking. You know, they obviously would have resembled Adamites to some degree, because they, they would have been their half-brothers, half you know. Um but they might have shared some physical characteristics of their father as well. Like maybe horns, I don't know, some external features, but nothing too dramatic. You know, you still blend in fairly easily. See, what I find confusing is the fact that if they're not the same species, how do they? How are they able to reproduce? You know? Who's not the same species? Like uh, Satan, you know, this... Snake figure and Eve, or later on the uh, the the Watchers and uh, you know who gave birth to the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's a. I've, I guess I've wondered it's a about that. I've wondered about that too with the different races. Like, how can uh, you know, if they're not all from the same person. Well, how can like black people and white people have kids? I know it has. I know it has. It does. It definitely doesn't have positive effects. I know that. It has very negative effects when that happens, especially if uh, it's extended, you know, multi generationally, and they keep doing that. It actually end. You end up with infertile offspring. Um, 
the more you miscegenate. But, uh, yeah, I've wondered that, too. How could it be possible to begin with? I don't know. Not sure. I guess they're, you know, compatible to to the to to a degree that allows them to, you know, procreate. Hmm. But it's not ideal. You know, it's not beneficial. Creates uh, you know, like an abnormality abnormalities. But I, I mean, would that preclude the possibility that they're different races? Or different species? I don't know. I mean, it seems to have because, happened. Because, I mean... The Bible is saying, so... Because, I mean, like, tigers and lions, they can procreate. They're different species, but if they get infertile offspring, you know? Well, they may be infertile, but they are bred for their skills in magic. Huh? They may be infertile, um, but they are bred for their skills in magic. What, tigers and lions? This is a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Oh. (laughs) You know, the, the liger. I'm sorry, oh. I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen that movie in forever, so... I'm sorry, it's not worth mentioning. I didn't get the reference. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean... I mean, they're different species, and they can, you know, they can... Pro- I mean, it, again... They, I mean, it, it. yeah, they end up with infertile offspring, but you get the same thing with people. If you miscegenate, you know for multiple generations, you end up with the same result. So, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe with people, there's just, I don't know, some kind of more genetic, I don't know, something that, you know, more genetic diversity, possibly, that allows them to procreate, you know, to where they get fertile offspring for the first few generations, and then it, they end up with infertile, and then they become infertile over time, you know, eventually, yeah. instead of, like, immediately, like, with animals. I don't know. It's just one possibility. But I don't think it necessitates that they, you know, have to be the same species, you know. Yeah, you know, I before you had uh, told me about that, that even between different races of humans, that the uh, offspring risk infertility within a few generations, I had never heard that before. So it's not something that they they want us to know about. No, no. Yeah, I never heard that either until I read that one book. You know, uh, I think, yeah, it was Pre-Adamites. It was that book. Alexander Winchell. Yeah, it went into great detail on that. It's not even just infertility. There's there's there was like a whole chapter on the negative effects. I mean, there's a lot of negative health effects. Like their their percentage of or their chances of disease, like crippling disease, just compounds. Like every time they miscegenate, and their life expectancy 
shortens, you know, it compounds the opposite direction. I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> there's nothing good that comes out of it. Um, yeah, we might have to go over that book sometime. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, lay out our uh, our anthropology if we want to oh, really yeah. talk about race and <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. All right, well, I think uh I think we'll cut it off here then. All right, but uh and call me call me after you do that cuz I want to talk. Okay. Okay, no problem. All right, we'll be back uh, you know, we'll definitely be back this weekend. We got a show Sunday. Oh yeah, sweet. Uh, with a special guest. So uh all right, well, I'll talk to you guys later. And bye, that'll guys. be it. All right, bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.